science, earth science, and at times a whole lot more, and hopefully keeping it interesting all in the same breath, too. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. And today is Wednesday, April 20th, 2022, and this is episode number 320. And yes, it is Science Wednesday, and yes, we are still probing our very own astronomical backyard right here. Our very own solar system is just chock full of interesting things to look at, interesting things to study, those things that have strange quirks, uh, quirks that are really unlikely to the point where it will get your attention in wondering, why is that there? So today we are going to continue in a subtopic of something that we started last Wednesday. Last Wednesday, we began with a look at the planetary surface of Saturn. Now, Saturn is extremely distinguished in the sense that you can tell that you're looking at Saturn. It's the ring system that essentially gives it away. It's the only one that has such a highly visible ring system. Now, the ring system is something we are going to take a much closer look at next Wednesday. But today, we're going to look at the moons of Saturn. That's coming up in just a little bit. But before we do that and before we take a break, I thought it would be a very good idea for those of you that are into backyard astronomy and are into looking for some of these objects in the nighttime sky to take a look at some of the data which tells us what planets we can see in the nighttime sky. And right now, there's only one that we can spot in the evening sky, here in the next few nights anyway, and that would be the planet Mercury. Now, I have seen the planet Mercury only once before, and that was in the evening sky. Mercury is so close to the sun that if you want to see it, you probably want to see it at its greatest elongation from the sun. So essentially, almost at a 90-degree angle, if you drew a line from Earth to the sun and then the sun to Mercury, that angle, 90 degrees, would be the greatest elongation as viewed from Earth. But even at its greatest elongation, it's difficult to really pinpoint Because most of the time, you're really going to have to fight either dawn breaking or twilight fading. 
And aside from that, only one time that I've actually seen it, spotted it, knew that I was looking at Mercury, the only other time that I was able to capture it was on a digital camera via long exposure or a little bit longer than just a quick snap. And there once from the rooftop of Fox 8, by the way, and I showed the picture on the air, it probably was uh, two, three years ago now in the summer, but I did show the picture and was able to point out to everybody I did capture Mercury and it was very, very close to the planet Venus at that point in time. That's one of the ways I was able to very quickly come up with that because we knew that the two would be very, very close together on that particular night. So right now, Mercury sets at 9.43 p.m. in the evening, which would give us uh, maybe somewhere about an hour's worth of time to locate it before it sunk below the horizon. It's best to locate Mercury in the next few nights if your horizon is very, very flat. If you have a lot of terrain, if you have a lot of trees in the way in the west, west, northwest, you're probably not going to be able to see it. That's a tough one to see. So let's move along to some of the easier targets. Now, sadly, and unfortunately for those that uh, perhaps uh, are night owls and like to stay up until midnight, you're not going to see much happening between the time that the sun goes down and midnight because the planets, at least the ones that are visible to the naked eye, would be very difficult to see. If, by chance, you are an early riser, guess what? You're in luck. Because we have not one, not two, not three, but four planets that you might catch a glimpse of given enough time. And also, just as important, a pretty flat eastern horizon. That would be very helpful. The first one that rises on the eastern horizon would be Saturn. That one will rise at 4.08 a.m. And at 4.36, the next one pops above the horizon. That's the planet Mars. That's easy because it has that rusty color to it. The next one up, also very easy to spot, that would be the planet Venus. That would come up over the eastern horizon at 5.01 a.m. and will continue its rise Very, very bright in the eastern sky until the dawn begins to wash it out. And the last one to pop above the eastern horizon. And dawn may start to crack some colors right along the horizon at this point, but you should still be able to see the planet Jupiter rising at 5.25 a.m. Now, naturally, at about 5.30, Venus will be a little bit higher in the eastern sky. Mars and Saturn even higher So if you want to wake up at about 5.30 a.m. and you have a reasonably clean or free of obstruction east or east-southeastern viewpoint, well, you will be able to pick out at least three of the planets that are up at Saturn, Mars, and Venus. And if you're lucky, you'll spot Jupiter pretty low in the east or east-southeast from 5.30 until sunrise. So there you have it, a little synopsis of what to anticipate here in the next few weeks. All right, when we come back, we're going to head out to Saturn. And again, Saturn is uh, probably going to be the one that you're going to see a little bit 
higher than all of the other planets in the east or east-southeastern sky in the early morning hours. But we're going to look at the moons, and there are a ton of moons. Well, how do you distinguish between the moons and some of the particulate matter that makes up the rings? That's certainly a very valid question. We'll look at that, and we'll also visit Mars's largest moon, Titan. That's an appropriate name, isn't it? All right, we'll be right back. Don't go away. Let's go to Saturn. And yes, we're going there again. It's a three-part series that we're doing on Saturn on this Astronomical Wednesday, Science Wednesday, where we are taking a look, a really hard and very detailed look at various aspects of our very own solar system. There are so many diverse objects that really should not be ignored. We shouldn't take them for granted because we have a lot of variety right in our own astronomical backyard. Last week, we took a look at the planet itself, and that meaning Saturn, the planetary surface, what it's made of, how big it is, the density, and that kind of thing. Well, this week, we will be taking a look at the moons of Saturn, and we separated that out for the planet Jupiter because the Galilean moons were, in and of themselves, a very interesting topic, and we thought it best to separate out the planet Jupiter from not only the Galilean moons, but all of the other smaller moons that make up the Jovian lunar system. So we're going to do the very same thing for Saturn, except that Saturn will come into three pieces and parts. If you were with me last week, we took a look at the planetary system of Saturn Today, we'll look at all of the moons of Saturn, and next week, there's an additional Saturn topic. I'm sure you probably have already surmised that we'll be looking at the ring system. Ring system is truly fascinating. But today, let's look at the moons of Saturn. How many are there? And that kind of thing. What are they made of? Well, first of all, the moons of Saturn are numerous and diverse, very similar to the Jovian lunar system. They range in size from tiny little moonlets, only tens of meters across, to the enormous Titan, which, by the way, is larger than the planet Mercury. So it's big. Now, Saturn, as far as we know, has 83 moons with confirmed orbits, that are not embedded in its rings, essentially totally separate from the ring system, of which only 13 have diameters greater than 50 kilometers. The rest are much, much smaller. So Titan is the largest moon in the solar system after Jupiter's Ganymede. We talked about Ganymede in a previous Wednesday edition of Weather Jazz when we took a look at the Jovian moon systems. Now, the moon Titan has a nitrogen-rich Earth-like atmosphere and a landscape that features dry river networks, which may tell us a little bit about the history of Titan. 
Now, 24 of Saturn's moons are what we call regular satellites. They have a prograde orbit, not greatly inclined to Saturn's equatorial plane. They're essentially outside of that ring system equatorial plane. They do include seven major satellites and four smaller moons. Incidentally, it's probably a good idea to mention that two of these moons, some of the larger ones, are actually found within Saturn's ring system, in between, in the gap. So it's not part of the rings per se, but rather they orbit in one of the gaps. And that's an interesting thing in and of itself, a part of which we'll get into next week when we talk about the ring system of Saturn. Now, there is a bit of an issue when it comes to identifying the moons of Saturn. You see, you see the precise number of Saturn's moons can't really be given because there's no objective boundary between the countless small anonymous objects that form Saturn's ring system and the larger objects that have been named as moons. So the 83 moons that have been identified or at least dubbed moons of Saturn, 30 of them are unnamed. And one of the reasons for those 30 is that they are irregular. They have an irregular orbit or they have an irregular size or have an irregular interaction with the ring system of Saturn. But obviously, one of the reasons we know of so many moons is because of all of the space probes that we have sent out towards Jupiter and Saturn and beyond. You see, before the advent of telescopes and photography, only eight moons of Saturn were actually discovered by direct observation using optical telescopes. Saturn's largest moon, for instance, Titan, was the first one to be discovered, and that was discovered in 1655 by Christian Huygens. Some of the other moon names that came a little bit later by direct optical discovery were the moons of Titus, Dione, Rhea, and Iapetus. Those were discovered between 1671 and 1684. Obviously, it was the probes that discovered many more moons, and those probes would have included Cassini, which recently got there in 2004, and also the two Voyager spacecraft that explored Saturn and its ring system and the moon system as well. However, the study of Saturn's moons have also been aided by advances in telescope instrumentation here on Earth, in particular, the introduction of digital charge couple devices, which replaced the photographic plates that we used to use before that occurred. Well, that's a relatively recent technological advancement, which has really helped out in trying to discover new things, not only deep space, but also, again, in our very own backyard. Now, here's something kind of interesting about the 83 moons that were mentioned as known moons of Saturn. Some of them are actually quote-unquote, lost. In other words, they've not been observed since their discovery, and hence their orbits are not really known well enough to be able to pinpoint their current locations. You see, if, if they're able to track a few of the locations, they can predict where these moons will be and therefore study them 
to a greater degree and to a greater level of detail. However, because they've only been observed once and can be confirmed that they are, in fact, moons, then you can't really triangulate what would be the next position that it would occupy in its orbit. Now, some of them have actually been found. However, since 2009, they're still looking for four of them, which remain unnamed. They have a digital sequence in order to hopefully find them at some point in time. But for them, they still have no account for. Very, very interesting. They still remain lost to this day. Now, in terms of the mass, as far as the mass goes, total mass for the moons on Saturn or around Saturn, well, Saturn's satellite system, extremely lopsided. You see Titan, which is the biggest moon and it's bigger than the planet mercury as we mentioned and discovered at the very beginning of this episode titan actually comprises of more than 96 percent of the mass in orbit around the planet there are a couple of other moons within the ecliptic system six of them actually and those constitute roughly four percent of the mass and the remaining 75 much smaller moons together with the rings, believe it or not, comprises only 0.04% of the mass. So Titan has really earned its name. It is a Titan, and it pretty much dominates the mass of the moons of Saturn. So I guess the bottom line is that we still have a lot to learn about the Saturn lunar systems aside from the big one that one's an easy one to kind of dig into it's an easy target but the rest are all kind of small and elusive and four of them are lost and of course we have the ring system inside the ring system we have more very small small pieces of rock and debris and dust that really can't be considered moons per se the way we think of moons It's a complex world, and so coming up in the next Weather Jazz Wednesday edition, we'll take a look at the ring system. I could almost spend several weeks on the ring system, but we'll try and give it the broad brush and try and highlight some of the quirks and the oddities that makes Saturn such a recognizable planet. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence. Social media, email, word of mouth, eyeball to eyeball. That's really the best way. And it's especially important if you know somebody who's interested in astronomy, because we'll be in this series on Wednesdays for another couple of weeks at the very, very least. Lots of interesting nuggets to discover about our own backyard in terms of astronomy. Well, do you have a question or a topic suggestion? I welcome your input, and you can easily reach me at weatherjazz at yahoo.com and also via the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, 234-525-5888. And just in case that's a little too fast for you or you're running or you're driving and can't transcribe that, Just go to weatherjazz.com and click on the contact tabs at the very top. And that tab 
And the drop-down will give you all of the information, the two ways that are the easiest way to get in touch with me right here on Weather Jazz. By the way, I do read and or listen to every single suggestion that happens to come in on either platform. I may not have the time to answer every single one of you directly, but know that if you took the time to drop me a line, I personally read them and may, in fact, be able to make some kind of adjustment to a program or include a topic based on your suggestions. So what's happening on Open Line Friday? Coming up this Friday, I have another archive episode. Last Friday, we visited with Dick Goddard, and that was a very early 2009 episode. So if you have not yet sampled that episode, Go back in the archive, weatherjazz.com, and check it out. Dick Goddard, who joined us in 2009 at the time. It was a lot of fun going back in time and listening to that very, very familiar voice once more. But this week, we're going to be heading to Alaska. And for a very important reason, and that important reason is a subject that so many of us enjoy ice cream. What does ice cream have in common with Alaska? Oh, you'll find out coming up with a part one edition of this particular archived episode that we're going to have on Friday. Hope to see you then. In the meantime, stay warm. Warmer days ahead. In fact, we'll go from snow to potentially 80 degrees within three or four days this weekend. Really looking quite nice and we'll quickly revisit that in terms of a weather forecast as you prepare for the weekend for those of you in the ohio valley that's it for now we'll talk to you soon right here on weather jazz weather and science across the globe the weather jazz podcast